I was here in May, just before I went to uh, Bangkok, Thailand for a meeting. And uh, the men's ensemble singing here, I love it when men sing like that, you know, it's great. And the whole worship team, you all were great. But uh, in Bangkok, there were 3,500 of us, okay, from 104 countries from all over the world. And I was one of the coaches in, the, in, in this event. But every morning and every afternoon at the, in the evening when we would gather together, all of us, and they'd sing. Most of them knew English, but they were singing in their native languages also. But the, we all knew the same songs and uh, some of the songs we sang here. And it was, uh, got to think, that's got to be what heaven's like, you know. It was really incredible, so... Uh, Jody and I are glad to be back. Uh, I think I'm scheduled for uh, November, if, again, the end of November, if I don't commit any heresies up here. But uh, we're, uh, thank you, Carl, and the elders for inviting me back. Uh, Larry said I used to be a political consultant, so I can't help but uh, mention the election even though you thought you might not have to hear about it this morning anyway, you know, and we all hope that, but uh, this may be the biggest election of our lifetimes, isn't it? You know, uh, freedom's hanging by a thread, religious freedom's hanging by a thread, the Supreme Court is hanging by a thread. Uh, this could fundamentally change the United States and the world forever, it really could. Uh, you know, let's remember that Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are descendants of Adam and Eve, sinners in need of a savior. Only God knows their hearts for sure. Uh, but we can pray for them, each individually. You know, Saul was persecuting Christians when God knocked him off his horse, blinded him, and put him in a headlock. If he can save Saul... If he could save me, he can save anyone, even Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Uh, I pray for their recognition of the creator God of the universe, and who one day they'll be accountable to. Uh, as Christians, I think that's what we need to be doing, is praying for them. And don't be angry with uh, people who differ with you. Love them. Because you're an ambassador to Jesus Christ, you know. Uh, and on November 9th, after the election, Jesus is still going to be in control. That's the big thing. Uh, we can trust him for everything. You know, uh, seeking a weekend break during this election cycle uh, about a month ago, Donald Trump decided he wanted to get on his yacht, but the yacht was in the Mediterranean, so he flew over there for the weekend and uh, was docked off the coast of Italy. And he said, oh, I'm going to be here. I think I'll invite the Pope to come on my boat. Well, the Pope showed up, along with all sorts of media people, and uh, it was a windy day, and the Pope's little hat blew off and flew into the water, and one of the crew members was going to get off the boat and go pick it up, and Trump said, oh, don't worry, I'll get it. He walked down, he walked across the water, picked up the hat, brought it back to the Pope. Of course, everybody was astounded. And they were wondering, how's the media going to cover this? Well, the New York Times headline the next day was, Donald Trump can't swim. 
<laughs> so much truth in that it hurts, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, this morning I want to talk about the ignored side of the gospel. You know, there are two lists in the book of Galatians that talks about characteristics of different kinds of people. The first is the natural man, fallen man and women. Uh, talks about sexual immorality, talks about impurity, about sensuality, talks about idolatry and witchcraft, talks about drunkenness and carousing. Now, I look around this church and I know the teaching that you have here, and this you're in a place where you're taught sound doctrine. And I know the lifestyle of your pastor and your elders and... and that's not what you're seeing around here. Uh, now, for some people, if we included things like watching R-rated movies or in the secrets of internet pornography, which is so prevalent in our society today, or maybe you read your horoscope regularly, or you devote your life to making money and money is your real God, or you quietly maybe drink too much at home. That's probably not most of us, probably not most of you or any of you. But the list goes on, though, to perhaps some less flamboyant sins. Hatred. I mean, you're involved in strife with a neighbor or a relative. Or you're jealous of somebody else's success at work or with their children. Or maybe you're angry when you're driving down the street and you speed up and somebody cuts in front of you and things. I know the, uh, the last thing to get sanctified in a man is usually our right foot because we got it on a gas pedal, you know. Uh, maybe you're an ambitious person. Uh, okay, if not all of these things, maybe one of them is a blind spot for you. Maybe there's a hole in your life there. Let me put it this way. Who or what do you love more than you love Jesus. And you think about it in terms that way, you know. What do you go to for comfort or relief from pain other than Jesus? That could be an idolatrous thing in your life. Well, as I look around and I n know some of you, I think your list is probably, your, your characteristics are probably more in line with another list that's in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, that your life is characterized by love, by joy, by peace, by patience, by kindness, by goodness, by faithfulness, by gentleness, by self-control. You know, Lewis Berry Chafer, who founded Dallas Seminary, called this the shortest biography of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what it is. Uh, you could add some elements from the famous love passage in 1 Corinthians. Love is not boastful, does not brag. It's not proud or arrogant. It is not r rude. It keeps no record of wrongs. But you could take the word love out of there and put the name Jesus in there. Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, hopes, perseveres. Jesus never fails. Well, the real Christian life is characterized by this process of sanctification. 
is we put aside all of those bad characteristics, a lot of which used to be true of me until I was saved at age 37, and can be, as we go through this process of sanctification, then hopefully as we grow in grace, we take on the new list, the fruit of the Spirit. As we do this, or as Jesus does this in our lives, we become more successful ambassadors of the Lord Jesus. It's the only foundation for building the Christian life, is God's grace. When people don't fully understand the new covenant of grace, they have a tendency to live under the spirit of the old covenant, the old covenant law, religion. You know, C.I. Schofield, the former pastor here in Dallas, 100 years ago, author of the famed Schofield Reference Bible, and mentor to Lewis Berry Chafer, put it this way in his classic book, Rightly Dividing the Word of Christ, the Word of Truth. It may be safely say, say, said that Judaizing, originally trying to follow the Old Testament law, but now any tendencies toward legalism, any of those things, of the church has done more to hinder the progress of the church, pervert her mission, destroy her spirituality, than all other causes combined. That's pretty heavy stuff. You know, several years ago, Jody and I led a revival, a Bible conference in Andrews, Texas, located in West, anybody know where Andrews is here? It's in West Texas, kind of north of Midland, a place called the Permian Basin. Many years ago, there was a poor family there, and uh, they had a farm, and, uh, but the area is mostly desert. Water's hard to come by. Uh, so this family was pretty poor. And one day, they discovered oil on their property, and they suddenly became very rich. Question is, were they rich before the oil was discovered on their property? Yeah, they were. They just didn't enjoy the benefits of the blessings of all they had. And so it is with some Christians. I want to look at the gospel today, the, the good news. According to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, it's his shortest description of the gospel. And basically it boils down to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6. But Paul said, Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the good news. Okay? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. It's two parts. I know a lot of churches that spend on all their time talking about the first part, the cross. This is a silver dollar. You can look at it. It's got two sides on it. On one side is a picture of President Eisenhower. Now, if I got this and I never turned it over, I'd say I'd describe the silver dollar as having a picture of President Eisenhower on it. And that'd be historically accurate and interesting. But if I never turned it over and saw the eagle and liberty on it, uh, in God we trust, I wouldn't know about that. You gotta turn it over. Now, can you get a silver dollar with only one side printed on it? Not really. 
you get both sides whether you know it or not or whether you read it or not. Well, the gospel by which we're saved, the good news of salvation, is like a two-sided coin. You get both sides at the same time, even if you only look at one side. But together, both sides of the gospel, they give full meaning to what it means to be saved. It's for all eternity, but it starts now, the moment you believe, the moment you trust Christ. Now let's look at the two-sided coin of God, okay? On one side, Christ died for our sins. Well, that's the cross. That's redemption. It's our debt paid in full. On the other side, he rose from the dead. That's the resurrection. That's regeneration. That's new life given. Let's look more closely at the first side. I think the key verse, if you want to look there, is Romans 3, 21 through 25. Romans 3, 21 through 25. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God pre presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. There's some big words in that passage. Three key words, I think, three aspects of what happened at the cross. Justification. We are justified. It's a legal term that Paul used. We're declared just or not guilty because Christ died for us. In the court of heaven, we're made right with God, a one-time act forever. Another key word there is redemption. The marketplace term that Paul used. Have you ever redeemed a money-saving coupon at a grocery store or a discount when you go to a restaurant? You cashed it in. Redemption means to buy back. Jesus set us free. We were purchased by his blood. So we're justified and we're redeemed. And the third word is propitiation or substitutionary atonement. That's a religious term. Okay, The Son of God took our place on the cross and he died willingly for our sins. The holiness of God is satisfied so he could give mercy to sinners like us. It's as if uh, a man came into a courtroom with a speeding ticket in a school zone and the judge found him uh, guilty and fined him $100. And then the judge got up from behind the bench and walked around to the front and paid the $100 to the bailiff because the, the boy who was driving the car was his, the judge's son. So he... He paid the fine for him. That's what God did for us. We were once dead in our sins, but at the cross, our sins were forgiven. We were, they were paid off, but we still needed more. What does a dead man need? We were dead in our sins. What does even a forgiven dead man need? Life. It's new life. That's why we want to look at the other side of the gospel. The empty tomb, the resurrection, it completes the picture. Jesus loved us enough to die for us, and he loves us enough not to leave us the way we were. 
He's in the life-giving and the life-changing business. Now, how does he do that? Key verse, I think, is in 1 Peter 1.3. 1 Peter 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. We're given new birth through the resurrection. Because he was raised, so are we. You know, we looked at three aspects of the cross, so let's look at three key aspects of the resurrection. The first, regeneration, new birth, to be born again. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, as recorded in chapter 3 of John, Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. In Titus, Paul said, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The second aspect, the second key thought, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You know, that didn't happen in the Old Testament except for short periods of time for people. But Ezekiel, 600 years before Christ, wrote, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you said the Lord. I will remove you from you, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. That's the promise of the resurrection. Okay? The promise of a new covenant, which we're going to celebrate this morning with the new covenant of, in the blood and body of Christ. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul wrote, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So point one, we're born again. Point two, the Holy Spirit lives in us as believers. The third point is sanctification. Colossians 3 says, 1-3, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Think of the fruit of the Spirit, not the things of the world. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, your new life. And Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. You know, some people look at only one side of the coin, one side of the gospel, the cross. They fail to appreciate the other side, the rest of the new covenant, the new life, the freedom, the liberty. Jesus didn't die to give us a new religion. He died to set us free. The big difference. You know, my family was very serious about religion when I was growing up. I had a lot of rules, a lot of regulations, a lot of rituals. Had a lot of religious exercise. Became a habit, but also became exhausting. Too much exercise of religion. And I did not understand grace, the gospel of grace. But now I do. And there are three responses to grace. One is the excess of liberty. You're free. Do whatever you want. It's called license. Do anything you feel like. It's a recipe for disaster. We know that. There are consequences to disobedience. The second response is just as bad. 
It's just not as obvious. It's called legalism, trying to live by following a religious system of laws instead of living by grace. If someone is bound up in legalism, sometimes they'll walk away because they're exhausted by trying to keep the rules and abandon the faith. We probably know people who've done that. Or that person could be an actor or a pretender, kind of going through the motions, but you don't know. Or they can develop a harsh, critical, unloving spirit, an unforgiving spirit. I hope that's none of us. In the chapter, in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, John wrote, To all who received him, Jesus, to those he, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. We are God's children. He doesn't want us to live under a bunch of regulations, rules. He wants a relationship with us. Let me repeat what Schofield said. He may, it may be safely said that Judaizing, legalism in our day, of the church has done more to hinder the church's progress, pervert her mission, and destroy her spirituality than all other causes combined. God wants us to have a grace-based relationship with him. That's why he sent Jesus to die on a cross and why he was resurrected. You know, just as our children don't need a dictatorship of rules, overly strict regulations or rituals, they do need and want a loving relationship with us, don't they? Uh, we want the real thing, not some watered-down version. You know, when you add something to the real thing, like a big Coke you get at uh, McDonald's or somewhere on a hot summer afternoon, and it's filled with ice, by the time you finish it, it's watered down and it doesn't satisfy as much. And in a book called Classic Christianity, there's an illustration of a man sitting alone in a room listening to the radio. And he was enjoying some great music. And it animated him. He started, you know, snapping his fingers and tapping his toes. He was having fun. He was having a good time. Then another man walked into the room and saw this guy just having a good time. And he was intrigued. But the second man was deaf. He couldn't hear the music. He didn't know the man was listening to music. Now, he wants to have fun, too, so he, he's looking at him. He says, this guy's having fun. This looks like fun. So he, he starts imitating the guy who's, you know, snapping his fingers. He starts tapping his toes, too. But after a few minutes, his hand cramps up. <laughs> his foot gets tired. He doesn't hear the music. He's just tapping and snapping. You know, there are a lot of people in our churches who are just tapping and snapping. I don't think this is one of those places. So, you know. But we want and we need a relationship with God, our loving Father, through faith in Christ. By grace, we want the real thing. And the correct way of responding to God's grace is gratitude. It's faithfulness, responsible obedience and service to other people not just tapping and snapping. How, you, how can you tell when you're not enjoying the full impact of grace in your life that God wants you to have? Uh, well, what's the evidence look like? What does your life produce? What's the fruit of your life? 
should be love and joy and peace, even in the midst of a presidential election like this one. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I, I wish either of our candidates <laughs> reflected the fruit of the Spirit, don't you? Yeah. Pray for them and vote. Yeah. So what does your life look like? Do you look like Jesus yet? I don't, but I'm getting there, I think. One day we will look like Jesus, but we'll be in heaven and we won't be dragging around our old nature with us. So we're in process. Major Ian Thomas once said, Christ gave his life for us in order to give life to us so he could live his life through us. That's a great way of putting the new life in Christ. So how can we choose to let Christ do this in us, through us? We need to abide in him. We need to have the mind of Christ. We do that by reading his word, by studying it, by meditating on it, by enjoying the Bible. Be and stay connected to, to Jesus. Keep on keeping on. You know, keep close to him daily. Pray, talk to him. He talks to us through the Bible mostly and other people, friends who sharpen us. But we talk to him through prayer. Picture yourself, if you can, in heaven, looking down on planet Earth and see if Jesus is living your life. That's way too convicting for me sometimes, you know. But that's a great way to look at things. Be accountable to someone else, a prayer partner, a small group where you can be vulnerable and be honest. Ask each other, what's God teaching you these days? Is there anything you're struggling with? How can I be praying for you? As iron sharpens iron, one believer sharpens another. Serve the Lord by serving others in his name. Be his ambassador. That's what you're here for on planet Earth. You know, he could have taken you right to heaven just like that the moment you were saved. But he didn't. He's got a job for you to do, to represent him. How are you doing representing? How are you doing representing Jesus to people who don't know him? I hope you're doing a good job at it. And if you're not, take some initiative and do it more. As Jesus said, people will know you are my disciples by the way you demonstrate love to one another. It's been good to be with you. Let me uh, close this in prayer. Father, Thank you so much for the complete gospel, the gospel by which we are saved. We are forgiven, but we are also given new life. Father, help us allow you to live your life through us. Lord, uh, we thank you for Grace Redeemer Church. We thank you for the blessings it brings into our lives. Father, we thank you for Jesus most of all. Be with us in the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.